Pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Katie mentioned that we have been preaching about this collective murmuration based on the metaphor of a flock of starlings. This is our last in the collective murmurations series. And Katie has also said that the synchronicity of starlings lives in the realm of miracle, especially as we consider the ways that humans long for synchronicity, yet we are bifurcated and segregated and divided from one another. Our scripture readings in this series come from the Gospel according to John, which was written within the context of the early church, which was experiencing conflict. We're not entirely sure of the source of this conflict, but today's text comes from the prayer at the end of Jesus' farewell address. Jesus' prayer is not just for the disciples, but for the generations of followers to come, that we might all know the unity and the glory of God. So the 17th chapter of John, verses 20 through 26, Jesus prays, I ask not only on behalf of these disciples, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. As you, Father, are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, so that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become completely one. So that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that those also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory, which you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Righteous Father, the world does not know you, but I know you, and these that know you have sent me. I made your name known to them, and I will make it known, so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Thanks be to God for God's holy word. Let's take a moment to rest in the knowledge that Jesus is praying for us. Yes, it is a prayer for the early church community and the church to come, but it is also a prayer for you and for me and for us that even though we do not walk the earth at the same time as the Son of God, we know the love of Jesus because it is passed on from generation to generation as the church universal throughout time. It is the practice of emulating Christ that becomes a murmuration of remembrance, a boundless collective memory. Now, in this series, you've heard a lot about starlings, and you've heard that starlings are excellent imitators of sound. It is why Mozart adopted star, because star could sing Mozart's piano concerto. Starlings can also mimic human voice. They can mimic the sound of animals, including frog calls, and even machines. On the Scottish Isle of Call, there exists a flock of starlings who sing a song of a two-stroke engine. Now, the engine lies rusty below their nesting ground, so these starlings never heard the engine itself, but instead learned the sound of home because it was passed on from generation to generation. Decades later, a BBC sound recordist discovered them singing the sound of the two-stroke engine. 
And so it might be surprising that birds have this ability to pass on things from generation to generation, but we are well aware that human history and identity are passed on in this way from generation to generation. And not too far from the island of Call, well, at least by American driving standards, there is a place called Glatton, England, that lives in my family's collective memory and in the collective memory of families of the US Army 8th Air Force 457th Bombardment Group who flew B-17 flying, flying, flying fortresses during World War II. And last year, a mural was dedicated to the 729 airmen who were killed, missing in action, or prisoners of war, just from Glatton alone. This place, to which I have never been, is a part of my family memory. My grandfather, Paul Miller, the handsome man in the first row center in the photograph, was a flight engineer who flew 30 missions over occupied Europe. As those B-17s flew in formation like flocks of silver starlings, my grandfather's plane was in the lead. The odds of survival for those airmen were something like one in four. So it is rarity, a rarity that he flew 30 missions, and in those 30 missions, he earned the, the flying cross, the distinguished flying cross, and an air medal with three oak leaf clusters. And to my knowledge, he spoke very little about these missions. He did not talk about the time they flew to Poland and they received such heavy fire that the pilot had to dive thousands of feet to break off the propeller of the plane to save the crew. He didn't speak of the emergency landing on an airstrip when they were running out of fuel. This airstrip was shorter than an aircraft carrier. And they were there at that base for three days and marked missing in action. And he didn't speak of the targets, German munitions factories and a dam which held a reservoir used for isolating heavy water for nuclear power. He didn't speak of them, but I know these stories because my grandmother collected the recollections of fellow crewmen and the photographs and the memorabilia to give to her grandchildren so that the brave song of the 457th Bombardment Group will be passed from generation to generation. There is a Glatton resident who offers tours to the monument and the memorial, and he says that once the aviators came to remember, but now their families come. And he is able to show them where their father or grandfather would have laid their head, the airstrip where they took off from. And he often takes photographs of them holding a picture of their relative, because his motivation is to remember people who should never be forgotten. And this is what we do on Memorial Day weekend. We pause to reflect on our communal values and those who died protecting them. Let us commit to remembering. Without these people, we would not, and there were many sacrifices, and the sacrifices of the greatest generation, the evils of Hitler's extremism would have gone unchecked. So just as we seek today to ensure the memory and the courage of our servicemen and women is passed down, and just as generations of starlings on call sing a song of home, our collective memory shapes us and forms us as followers of Jesus, who we know, but whom we have never met in the flesh. When tragedy strikes again, and it seems again and again, our faith reminds us that we are God's and that we are able to live a life of love and peace in this divided world.
Our Christian memory and identity stretches back to the chaos before the foundations of the earth and forward to this vision where all creation enjoys full, joyous communion with God and with one another. But we live in a weary world, and we are not there yet. The last few weeks, months, years, they're a stark reminder of that. And so Jesus' prayer for the generations to come offers us hope, but also has space for grief and lament that weighs heavy on our hearts today. Jesus prays for the unity of the church, but it is a peculiar kind of unity. It felt peculiar to the conflicted church in the first century, and it feels peculiar to us in a world where media and political and economic systems seem to thrive on division. The unity Jesus prays for future believers is not a political unity or agreement on religious doctrine. It is a unity based on relationship with Jesus Christ. In this prayer, we hear this swooping, flocking, swirling dance of unity, God and Jesus, Jesus and God, Jesus and the disciples, the disciples and the generations to come, and therefore Jesus in us and among us through one another so that we may be one, as Jesus and the Father are one, I and them and you and me. So how do we imagine then this eternity of oneness unbounded by space and by time? Here is a child's drawing of what I think of as abiding love. It shows the artist drawing her friend in heaven and her friend Nico, who died in a car crash last fall, drawing her from heaven. She, the, uh, the artist created it for Nico's parents. And you may know that it was created by 10-year-old Aletha Ramirez, a victim of the events in Uvalde, who now rests in the arms of God. So as our hearts ache, let Aletha's vision live in our memories as an image of deep, abiding love and communion with God and communion with one another. Jesus prays that we might be one, and also through that the inbreaking love of Christ that we might know God's glory. But again, God's glory is peculiar. It's a peculiar glory in which we remember God's love revealed even in death on the cross. It is a love that knows suffering and lament and grief, but it is a love that endures past from generation to generation. This peculiar, strange glory makes visible the presence of God. This peculiar glory that reveals God's love often takes the form of serving the least, the lost, the excluded, the oppressed. Deacon Hayward Patterson lived such a life of service. He was the leader of the Tabernacle Church of God, but as a deacon, his ministry stretched beyond the church walls. He served at the Glenwood Avenue Soup Kitchen. He shuttled people in a food desert back and forth to the Topps Friendly Market in Buffalo, where, you know, last week he was killed while packing groceries into that car. Even as the evils of racism killed him, his life glorified God in his ministry of ensuring that his neighbors would not go hungry 
Like Hayward Patterson, I am a deacon, and there are denominational differences among deacons. Some are ordained clergy like me, and some are lay people, but there is a unity in our call to service and justice and compassion rooted in acts. The ministry of the deacon is symbolized by a pitcher and a bowl. It reminds us of Jesus washing the feet of the disciples, an act of service that occurs just before this meal where we heard this final farewell address and prayer. Deacons might be teachers or public servants. They might be professors and church leaders. They might be police chaplains. They might be advocates for children. They might even be ethical advertising executives or professors. These are just a few of the deacons I know serving in the world and a vision of the multitude of ways that they can glorify and reveal God's love and presence. But the bowl and pitcher also remind us of our baptism, the flowing font of God's grace that claims us and forms us into God's people, which like the starling song is passed from generation to generation. In addition to committing to seek to follow Jesus Christ in our baptismal liturgy, mainline Protestants often include the renouncements of e renouncement of evil in that baptismal liturgy and a commitment to resisting injustice and oppression. Our baptismal identity transcends all of our other identities. So let us remember our baptism. Let us remember our baptism as we offer our thoughts and prayers and then move to do what is ours to do, using our own unique gifts in our often inadequate ways to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with God. That we may be called to create peace and well-being and flourishing in different and diverse ways. Christ unites our work into a divine murmuration. Friends, let us remember whose we are as we approach the table where communion with and in Christ is made visible. All glory to God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.